You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves if we let them. For this episode, I spoke to Caro Giles. Caro is a writer based in Northumberland, whose words are inspired by her local landscape. She writes honestly about what it means to be a woman, a mother, and a carer, and about the value in taking the road less traveled. Her writing has appeared in journals, press, and periodicals, and she was named Country File Magazine's New Nature Writer of the Year in 2021. Twelve Moons, her stunning, enveloping memoir about finding yourself and your voice, is out now and available in all good bookshops. When we spoke, Caro and I talked about what might have happened if she had attended a traditional university as opposed to going to drama school, which she describes as a, quote, intense and edgy place. Along the way, we discussed being two opposing things at once, the impossibility of actually having it all, and how tricky it is to find a good harp. Hi, Caro. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Nice to see you. You as well. It's lovely to be having this chat right at the start of 2023. Um, and it's also just wonderful to be talking to you because I, like so many readers, I'm sure, have had or, uh, you know, yes, have had just this incredible immersion in your prose via your new book, Twelve Moons. Um, which just moves through landscapes, both physical and emotional, in the most encompassing way, whether you're speaking about motherhood or divorce or nature or the emergence of a self. Um, and we're going to touch on some of these things as we go back to your path and explore your unlived life. But I wondered if before we got started, you might just want to say a little bit about your book. Sure. Um, thank you for those kind words as well. Um, yeah, I think immersive is a good word to use. I think um, 12 Moons has always been a story that I've wanted to tell. And originally, I thought I would tell the story about being a woman alone by running a long path called um, St Cuthbert's Way, which is quite near where I live in the northeast, near the borders of Scotland. Um, and I wanted to think about what it was to be fully alone in the wild landscape where I live. Um, and then life happened and lockdown happened and a poorly child happened and I couldn't create that space for myself. And so I began to write the story of what it was to be at once alone, but also surrounded. Um, 
and I started looking up at the sky from my house because I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> and I started to look at the moon and to kind of communicate with the moon, I guess, just inside my head and to be surrounded by that darkness like the darkness of the skies, but also there was quite a lot of darkness in my life when I started writing the story. Um, and I guess I started to think about what it was to be on the edge of lots of different things, to be on the edge of society as a single mother of four children um, and to be on the edge of society as a parent carer and to think about what that means, to be on the edge of society as someone who has been required to educate her children herself because they haven't fitted into the education system and to be um, on the edge of society in a geographical sense as well because I live um, in Northumberland which is on the edge of the country and feels in the actual middle of nowhere to me. So I started to write that story of what it was to be alone but really I was never alone because I was always surrounded by my daughters and I was never alone because I always was kind of really immersed in the wilderness that is Northumberland. And as the lockdowns eased and as my child's health improved, I was able to be outside my house as well. And so I explore that more, that idea of feeling claustrophobic and always surrounded, but in the middle of nowhere. And I guess that's what 12 Moons is about, is about what it is to be alone and sometimes lonely and how how to navigate that, how to how to find somewhere where you feel held and where you feel grounded. It feels, interestingly, actually, the feeling I came out of the book with was the sense of being held. I felt like I'd sort of been sort of cocooned. And you have some of the most wonderful passages with you, with your daughters, where I just feel this sort of sense of holding that you provide for them. And I think, amazingly, that sort of translates into the experience for the reader. You feel like you've been sort of swaddled in the world's comfiest blankets in a way. Um Congratulations. It's a really a triumph. Um, Thank you. Well, so I think we're going to we're going to get at I think in particular these things, this thing around the edges and the self as we navigate your path. But I, I hope that we'll be able to touch on quite a bit of of what you discuss in the book as we go. Um but I think we should get straight into your path, if that's all right with you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So can you just say uh, where we are in time and space and sort of what's up for you at the time uh, of your of your path that we're about to discuss? I guess continuing the theme of being on the edge, um, the point in my life I thought it would be interesting to explore is the edge of me being a child and a woman. And it's when I'm 17 and I'm about to leave home and um, in my real life, in my lived life, I go to drama school away from everything I have known. And I wonder what it would have been like if I had not gone down that path. And if I had followed a path which maybe some of my friends had followed and that was maybe a bit more traditional. I've always been interested to know what would the impact have been upon my identity and my sense of self had I not gone to drama school, because drama school was an intense and edgy place for uh, someone who's just 18, um, a long way from family and friends and entering a world that she doesn't know. Um, so I guess that's what I'd like to look at in a bit more detail with you. Okay. And just, um, and that that intense and edgy place is something I'd I'd love to hear a little more description of, but can you just say 
just on a very practical sense, sort of where where did you grow up? What was secondary school like for you? And and you've sort of, when you and I spoke earlier, you had this very clear idea that you wanted to go to drama school. And I'm wondering about the teenager that you were that made that really clear decision. So I grew up in, in different places. I was born in Northamptonshire. And then we lived in Devon when I was three near my dad's family. And then when I, just before I started secondary school, we moved up to North Yorkshire, to a market town in North Yorkshire. Um, And I am the oldest of four children. So like big families are normal for me. And I think as the eldest child, um, I don't know if this is true of all oldest children, but I really felt a sense that I was needed to set an example that I needed to uh, not exactly toe the line but needed to do a good job and I think I already from a really young age had a sense that I needed to follow the rules and I was quite fearful of authority which is something I question a lot now Um, but when I was at school I was academic and I was keen I was well behaved I enjoyed school um, which is something that interests me as well because school has been a place that has not fitted for so many of my own children. But I loved school and I I needed to always be busy. I have a really busy brain that doesn't slow down easily. Um, so the f- flip side of that is that I'm quite an anxious person. Quite, uh, I overthink things quite a lot. And the great side of that is that I have loads of energy and um, I think it feeds my creativity and enables me to be able to, um, most of the time, do a decent job of parenting for kids <laughs> on my own. So that busy brain is, is like a curse and a joy to me. And as a teenager, um, it meant that I always was doing lots of things. I've immersed myself in loads of cross-curricular stuff so I was a key musician and I used to do all of the like all the bands and the choirs and all those bits and bobs and they kept me busy after school all the time but I really really from a young age from I mean probably from around the age of 11 or so when I started secondary school probably earlier actually because I used to even have a stage name as a young child that my siblings still tease me for now I always wanted to be an actor and I always wanted to perform and um hang on hang on what was the stage name my stage name was Carla Ferretto so that was a great name and that was always going to be my name when I got really famous that's an amazing stage name I love it that's a great name isn't it it's amazing we would do, you know, as a younger child, even before secondary school, we would be, um, I had two younger brothers and a younger sister and I would write, um, write scripts and I would allocate lines in songs for them. Uh, I'm sure I was quite irritating to them. We would dress up, um, we would, you know, all of that. It was like, it was a a big, busy house and, um, I always was going to be an actor. And when I went to secondary school, actually there was very little drama at that school. So the music was excellent, but there wasn't really any drama. And so if I wanted to do anything theatrical, I had to really seek that out myself. And so when I wasn't doing all the music stuff at school or sports stuff or homework, then I was at the local amateur dramatic society, the local amateur operatic society, and I would do anything to be on the stage. I remember one time even they needed a dead body to drag out of a swimming pool. <laughs> and I was like, I'll do that. <laughs> um, I was so keen. So I guess as a teenager, I was committed. I was um, achieving highly. 
I was pleasing people a lot, I think, which is a theme that has continued throughout my life. That would be a good thing to for me to think about. But I, I was not coming from a, a, a tradition of theatre. So whilst um, higher education was something that members of my family had experienced, so like university, um, I didn't know anybody who was an actor. I didn't know anybody who had had a career in acting. I didn't really know how it could be a job. So I think I became quite single-minded in, ter- in terms of research and looking at how I could fund this drama school because my parents couldn't pay for the fees. And I don't think I thought much beyond getting into drama school. I didn't think about what my life would look like. Well, and your determination in all things definitely comes through in the book as well. And in your, in your <laughs> parenting, it is, it is extraordinary. Before we start going down your other path, I just... You, you you said earlier that it was quite an intense and edgy place. And you talked when you, you and I spoke earlier about your interest in exploring this because some of that intensity and that edginess and some other elements you feel might have had an impact on your personality. Do you want to just kind of say a little bit about what drama school was like and what you think that was? So drama school was at the other end of the country to me, for one thing. So all of my um, most of my good friends had gone to university in Leeds, which wasn't that far from where we'd grown up. Um, But I'd gone to Guildford on the other side of London and everything that I knew, it just seemed so, so much further away because I was kind of even, even further than London. Um, And at drama school, there were not any halls of residence. So I, I just had had my 18th birthday and I had to go down to Guildford and I had to move into a house with three women who were post grads, actually. So they're older than me, who I'd never met before. Yeah, and that felt like already an interesting life choice, actually, because it meant that I was living with people who were older than me. I mean, I'd never lived on my own before, and it wasn't like I couldn't be independent. I couldn't you know, cook for myself or look after myself. I could do all of those things, but I felt very vulnerable. These people had already been living away from home for quite some time. So that was the first thing was that I lived in, in this little room, and I had the last room in the house, so it was the smallest room. I felt a bit like an add-on. I think even at that at that point in my life, I was very bad at creating space for myself and owning my own space. And that was really exemplified by me um, taking the tiniest room in the house and just putting myself in it and not knowing how I fitted into that group of people. Um, and then the, the idea at drama school often is that you will be really deconstructed as a person through all of the sessions that you do and the classes that you do. And um, I think when you are, I think it's understood now really that 18 is not really grown up anymore. I mean, the 1990s when I was at drama school, 18 was like, you're a grown up now. But I think we really understand uh, now that you're not even really grown up until at least in your mid-20s, like your brain is still developing. So it's a funny thing to be 18 and go to drama school and to really be analysed and picked apart um, in a way that leaves you really laid bare there's sort of nothing there at 18, is there? Or not in the way that, or not so much to deconstruct. I mean, I'm 40. I still don't feel like I'm grown up. You know, exactly of- that. And it's scary. It's a scary place to be as well, to be laid bare like that, even like you say, when you're, when you're our age. So also at drama school, you, you, it was very disciplined and very strict. So you had to be there from nine until six for five days a week. It wasn't at university where you have lectures. And if you were late, something happened, there was a consequence. So I still felt like I was living within, like really having to respond to authority in a way that maybe wasn't helpful. I wasn't always feeling 
being treated like an adult. It was like you turn up at nine, you leave at six. If you miss anything, something, I can't remember what the outcome was. Like you either got sent home or, you know, something that was very, uh, like a firm kind of response. And also I had to work a lot in order to fund living away. So I was, I was working in a pub and I was working in a restaurant. Sometimes I worked in a clothes shop. And so I felt like where some people at drama school didn't have to work, it was a really, a lot of people were privileged and affluent. I was um, trying to form friendships at drama school, but then having to work and trying to form friendships outside drama school. I was really struggling to find a tribe of people who I felt I fitted in with. I And I think it's because I didn't know who the hell I was. So how could I fit in with anything when I was still not not sure what was going on for me? I, I wouldn't have my time again and do it differently because nobody could have persuaded me I shouldn't have gone to drama school. But when I look back now, I think that that was intense and that was um, emotionally quite a risky place for a, for a young girl to be. So we're just going to explore um, what might have happened if you'd gone a different path. Now, am I right that the the direction we want to go is one of the sort of more quote unquote traditional ones that some of your friends did. So to university to study music or similar. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So I got offered a place at the same time. My, my parents were really supportive of me to do whatever I wanted to do, but they wanted me to have a degree alongside it because they felt that, um, being an actor wasn't a, was a precarious job, which they were right about. So (laughs) alongside when I was at drama school, I was doing a degree alongside that as part of the course, but, um, that meant that I'd also applied to universities as a fallback in case I didn't get into drama school. So I got offered a place at the Royal Holloway University near London to do just music that I turned down. So I wondered about that as one of the forks. Otherwise, I would have I, I never applied to the same university as my friends, but I just felt like a university lifestyle might have been something a bit more traditional and a bit more fitting in with what everybody else had done. Well, let's make sure that that's the way we want to go then. Is that you want to go to Royal Holloway or do you want to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's go there. All right. Here we go. All right. So you're 18. You get all of your acceptances back. You've felt really clear that you're going to go to drama school, but actually you get that letter from Royal Holloway. You have a little think, you have a little chat with your parents maybe, and you actually decide no to drama school. Yes to Royal Holloway. Then what happens? So then I guess what happens is I um, take the more traditional route of uh, getting a place in halls of residence and being a student rather than what happened at drama school was just straight away kind of into an industry. And and maybe I feel like I would have gone into halls and had a bit of space to breathe. So let's just talk really quickly about your halls of residence. Do you have, I don't actually, I went to university in America, so I don't quite know how it works here. Do you have a roommate in halls of residence? I think usually you just would have your own room. I would hope to have my own room. I think I would find that a weird thing to share a room with someone that I didn't know. But that would that would also be very interesting to me. I think I like to think I would have my own room. Well, let's decide. Let's decide if you've got, I think, shall we, shall we give you your own room? Yeah, give me some space. That All would right. be great. You have a little space. Okay, so that's good. <laughs> but I think you're always in other people's rooms. Okay. It's how I, it's how I feel like what it is, but I can't know because I've never been. So let's right. just assume that we have, I have like a tiny room that is mine, but it's next to lots of other people. Okay, fine. So that's your sort of, that's your context. And are you relatively social? Like, will you go out? You've, it's nice for you to have your space, but you'd kind of like bopping out and getting to um, know people? 
yeah, I'm extremely extrovert and actually having, um, being on my own is very difficult <laughs> and it's something that I've had to really work at. So, um, yeah, I definitely would probably not have been in my room very much on my own. I would have always wanted to be with other people because I really get energy from other people. And also, um, I am quite a scared person, which I write a lot about in my book, but at that age, when I left home, I still was having really horrific nightmares and I don't know where they came from but I would have awful nightmares up until I left home I would have to go down and sleep on my parents floor because they were so visceral and I thought someone was coming to kill me or yeah something really awful was going to happen to me and I was genuinely worried when I left home that these nightmares would continue to happen and I wouldn't know how to navigate that and actually they didn't carry on happening um but I didn't know that that was going to be the case. So, um, mm. yeah, that, but it might prevent me from, it would prevent me from wanting to be that much on my own as well. I was quite fearful um, of being on my own. Well, then one thing that might be interesting to explore is if that fearfulness sticks around in this sort of slightly different environment. So let's, mm. why don't we just see how that starts to feel? What, um, is there a specific bit of music that you're studying or how does the, how does the course work? Uh, so I play, had three instruments um piano clarinet and singing are my instruments and I think um I got the place on my piano um I remember going to the I still remember going to the interview actually and asking if I could learn to play the harp because I always really wanted to play the harp and they said you can learn to play the harp if you bring your own harp (laughs) and I said (laughs) oh I haven't got my own harp I also haven't got many thousands of pounds to buy one so that was that so that's sad but I would always still have been trying to see if I could play a harp but yeah piano would have been my um first instrument and I also would have been doing lots of choral stuff and and vocal stuff I think um, possibly even using the clarinet for ensemble. And one of the good things about music is that it's a communal activity often and it would have allowed me to be around lots of people. Um, it's also very disciplined, which was something that seems to sometimes have worked for me in the past, although it doesn't in my current existence. Even though it's creative um, being a musician, it's not creative in in the way that you have to kind of excavate yourself when you're training to be an actor or even in the way you excavate yourself if you're writing memoir. So um, that different approach to creativity, I think, would have had an impact upon my development as a person. Let's think a little bit more about that. So you um, you are playing piano, you're in choirs. At some point, I'm really hopeful that you're going to find a harp. Desperate um, for a harp. Desperate for mm-hmm. a harp. And you're being a bit social and this sort of, and how long is the course? Is it three years? Yeah. Three year degree course. Um, Yeah. I wonder whether as well, I should tell you that at this point I was really in love with someone (gasps) and that, well, that would have just been very, very much a thing that I would have been thinking about. Someone at drama school or before? Someone, someone at home. You should definitely tell me that at this point. I was really in love with someone who was my first boyfriend, really. And he was from a really different background to mine. His parents were farmers and his family had never gone to university or anything like that. And I really encouraged him to like raise his eyes a bit to the horizon and look beyond where he lived. Um, I don't mean that in a patronizing way. I just mean that I think I encouraged him in what he wanted to do. And actually that is a thing that that is the 
a thing that has been a thing for me where I have wanted always to to be I think at my own cost I have wanted to support partners and men in my life to do things um and not and forgotten about myself so I maybe did that a bit with this first boyfriend as well but it all came from a place of love and I just thought he was great and he could go and do something amazing and he ended up going to university in Birmingham at the same time that I went away to drama school and it turned out to be a nightmare because it meant he found out that there was much more for him in the big wide world and fairly quick fairly quickly I wasn't enough for him anymore so he lifted his eyes to the horizon and he yeah and it was the wrong horizon because it wasn't me (laughs) yeah so he so then like I was up and down from Guildford to Birmingham on the train uh within the for the first year or so and he would get the coach down to Guildford and it was really intense like, you know, when that first love thing, I just like, it was just, it was really intense. And then it fizzled out after a year or so. And that was that. But in that, when I first went to university, if I first go to university at Royal Holloway, he'll be really in my head. And I wonder, wonder what it would be like. Okay. Whether, like, how different it would have been to have been at university, not kind of isolated at drama school, whether I would have found it easy to forget him as well. Well, let's, let's think about it. As you say, in drama school, if you're isolated and you're having your, you know, what 18-year-old self there is of you pummeled out of you in order to break you down and build you back up, presumably it would be quite hard to forget about somebody who's in the process of broadening his horizon. Yeah, and also someone who really knows you for who you are or who Mm. you were before you you were there. Um, But I have to say, I think I had such... um, I think I, I am a funny mixture of someone who can be very confident and someone who whose self-esteem can can be quite poor because I think I had um I think I've made some really poor decisions always really with men um or boys you know at that age whatever I think I just never thought that I was really very that I was good enough and so I had to I don't know whether that would have been any different when I was at university or whether I would have met different type of people. I don't know. There's something about coming of age in the 1990s and the, and the, and the warped feminism of the 1990s where you're, you're told you can have everything and you can't really, of course you can't have everything. Um, but the whole girl power thing of being this kind of quite aggressive girl woman, I, I've, I've, I bought into that and, um, yeah, but it really it was just a front and I, I had no clue really how to behave around men and I certainly didn't know my own worth. Well, let's let's get into that a bit. Let's think about your peer group. But I think you're really, it's so true about, and the thing about the girl power thing was that, I mean, we must to a certain extent all have known that it was bullshit, right? Because ultimately like mm. we didn't, we still didn't, you know, it was, it was sort of, you know, this idea that we're supposed to, have everything or we can have everything when ultimately what it sort of leads to is a feeling that if you then sort of don't have everything, then you've failed somehow or you've gotten it wrong. Um, Or if you're not managing, you know, and if you're not managing to be sort of, you know, hyper ambitious and on top of everything, and then at the same time, be very caring and make sure that your boyfriend looks to the horizon. And you know what I mean? It's sort of where it's like, how can you, you can't do both of those things at the same time. I feel like what what might have been different might be that when I was at drama school and in the years when I was acting after that, 
um, there's so much emphasis on what I looked like and not really any emphasis on what I thought or what I said. And so I like to think that would have been different because at drama school, I was at drama school and, oh, are you going to audition for this part? They need someone blonde. They need someone tall. They need, you know, not they need someone who um, can be really kind or they need someone who can, who is really interested in 1990s feminism or, you know, it's just like, what, what are you looking like? And then after drama school, can you come to the pub and be a barmaid? And then you will be um, objectified for four hours. I Ugh. loved actually working in the pub, but all I'm saying is it's not that healthy to constantly be be in that kind of goldfish bowl where all that matters is, is is what you look like and nobody really listens to what you say. So I like to think that if I'd gone to do something um that required me to be doing something rather than looking like something that might have, that might have been different for me and that might have meant that I learned a little bit more about how to value myself and what was important about me. I love that phrase, doing something rather than looking like something. That's just perfect. Uh, well, let's, okay, let's figure it out. Let's talk about your friends. Who do you meet? I really hope that I meet people from, um, so I, I'm, I'm very at home and comfortable in the environment of musicians because when I'm at school, I am always doing rehearsals or I'm going off on like musical tours to another school or, you know, doing concerts. And it's quite a geeky environment. Um, it's not people who are the cool kids, who are the musicians. It's people who are, and it's kind of quite an academic-y, intelligent sort of in, environment where people are nerdy about composers or uh, what type of instrument they're going to be needing to buy next or what um, dynamics we're using. You know, it's, it's all quite niche. Um, I quite liked that. I think I felt a bit on the periphery of it because I thought oh, I'm not really a musician because I'm going to be an actor. But when I think about that now, I think I always just feel on the periphery of everything. That's just a feeling of not, that's just an insecurity feeling. But I think at, at university, if I'm studying music, I'm feeling really comfortable within that environment. But what I'm hoping for is to meet lots of people who are not in that environment, who are different to that, who might take me out of that uh, kind of quite geeky rigid rehearsally discipline place interesting okay so where do you find them well I mean I think I go to lots of I go out a lot because I'm really sociable so at school I was fairly clean cut and not very cool my friends I write about this in the book were into like indie music uh smoking like quite kind of you know dark literature and poetry I I was not any of that I was St Etienne kind of breathy pop music girl bands uh, musicals that type of thing um, but I also wasn't kind of preppy and one of the really popular kids who was I actually I don't know who I was I, I wanted I wanted to be um, I think I wanted to feel a little bit out of control and I definitely have achieved that in my life by going to lots of lots of different parties and clubs and immersing myself in that kind of underground scene. That's what I actually did in my real life in my 20s. Don't know who I would have met there. That would have been really interesting. I wonder whether my writing might have come to fruition a bit sooner, actually, if I'd gone to university, if I'd met people who had been reading and writing more. Why don't we think about your classes a little bit? Because you're obviously doing all of your music. Do you think you might have taken a literature class or anything like that if you're thinking about your writing? I feel like I 
I was always quite interested in at school in looking for ways to express myself and becoming more articulate in doing that. And I used to find that really difficult because I would always get really passionate. So I remember having a debate at school, I think it was about euthanasia, and I struggled to articulate my argument well because I only could think about what I really, really felt inside. I couldn't think. I always just would be speaking with my heart. And I think clearly that's what I've done with 12 Moons as well. But I would have would have liked to think I would have become a bit more politicised and a bit more able to articulate what I wish life could be more like for women. Um, I So maybe like I would have been more involved with like feminist societies or something like that, which might have helped me to have a bit more of a voice because there would, I would, there would have been a group of people saying the same thing as me. But it would have been something maybe like a... And it could have been even something like a feminist book club or um, some kind of um, lefty, liberally, feministy politics group or something like that. That would have been really a brilliant thing for me at that age, I think, and allowed me to have a safe space to kind of form some opinions or you know develop try out some opinions and see whether they felt like my opinions or not I don't think I had anywhere to do that that's such an interesting um description of what it means to figure out who you are that idea of having a space to figure out your opinions it's really hard to do that now though isn't it because everything if you have an opinion and you express it um on social media or any, well, I just think everybody's not really allowed to have an opinion and, and, and it's hard to make to have an opinion and make a mistake and not always be held to that opinion. Um, and that, I think, can be quite stifling. So I, th- I think having those safe spaces where you can explore those ideas is such an important thing. And that's something that I have really sought out since I've been on my own, actually. I totally agree. How, where have you found them? Where do you find them now? Um, so I belong to a really amazing writing group and there are five, six of us. And we, that's just a place. Where, so lots of my kind of deepest thoughts go into my writing. And um, that just feels like a really safe space to explore ideas and to make suggestions, but not to be kind of shouted down or ridiculed or um, told that you're wrong. But, you know, people are interested to discuss what you've got to say. I, I have found that to be a really important addition and safe space to my life, actually. Um, okay, so you've got this, um, you've got all of your music studies and you've got this feminist group. Are we calling it a book club or are they more like a political group? Yeah, maybe a political group. Okay. Anyone in particular in there who you bond with? I like the idea. Like, I feel like this is could really have happened because I feel like I can be quite radical in like I've had to be quite radical because uh, my children don't fit into what everybody wants them to fit into. And I'm not a politician, but I feel like I do really have to try and affect change every single day of my life. So it feels like I, like there is, there's the, there's a radical inside me and it's not, and actually I'm really excited to think that maybe that could have been a path for me. You know, maybe it obviously still could be in the future, but that feels like a really plausible thing that could have happened. Can you say really quickly, just for those who haven't read your book, just uh, mm. this point about your children not necessarily fitting in? So I have four children and two of them are unable to attend school. Um, one of them's autistic. Um, the other one is just hasn't been managing at school. Um, and two of them do go to school. Um, I've home educated my children 
in the in the past but now I'm at the stage where I am angry that there's not an appropriate provision for the children that can't manage in a mainstream environment and so even though they're at home I always argue that they are not electively home educated and that actually our education system is not really fit for purpose because it's not inclusive everybody can't learn in our Mm. school environment so yeah so I'm so so my days are filled with um appointments and advocating yeah I have lots to say on that (laughs) okay well that's another that's another podcast episode maybe we'll come back around and touch some more of it Mm -hmm. but let's go back to uh, the the budding radical you and sort of where are we are we in the sort of late 90s yeah um 95 to 98 okay fine um okay so you are testing out your ideas you're starting to kind of hone your sort of feminist principles a little bit um in this space um you're probably about a year in um you're socializing a lot you're 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 like dancing you're going to parties you're playing a lot of music obviously what's happened with the boy in Birmingham I just remembered about him (laughs) yeah I mean I think essentially the boy in Birmingham's gone because um because I still am, I still am me. And actually even I'm probably, I'm hoping maybe I'm a little bit more of a confident me. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think really he's gone by the end of the first year. But you know, when I was at drama school, he was still in and out a bit of my life until the end of drama school. I remember weeping in like the second or third year about him but maybe I'm not quite so bereft like maybe there are some other good options for me (laughs) or maybe I'm feeling like I don't need there to be another option it feels it feels a bit like it it feels a bit like you're like it's a little easier to let him go you've got a lot going on yeah um has it does anybody surface do we see any other men on the horizon and you're a horizon I mean I'm I mean I'm sure yes because you know like 19 years old and at university um couldn't tell you who they would be though and because yeah, I, I mean, really, I have so little experience of men because I met my husband when I was 21 and then that was that. So so I, I wonder if that would have been different, like if I wouldn't have, have settled down with someone when I was super, super young and maybe maybe there would have been like a couple of slightly longer term boyfriends before all of that settling down stuff. That would have been quite nice um, rather than just random horrors, which is what drama school was really. <laughs> <laughs> random horrors. One thing that seems like it probably won't happen is it you probably won't meet your husband yeah true although um yeah possible yeah because I met met him I met him through theater so yeah that's right okay so after drama school you graduated and you started auditioning and you started acting yeah and so in that space is where you met him so that's not yeah happening for you that's a different space yeah okay okay so now we're going through Maybe we're in year two of university, moving on to year three. How's your music progressing? So I think I'm working hard and I think I'm getting good grades. And I think, I don't know where I would go with my music, but it definitely would have to involve, like I've done quite a lot of composition work. Maybe I'm doing some composing, um, maybe, but I would want to be doing some performance. I probably would be in something like a chamber choir or something. I would quite like that exposure in a small singing group. And I think what might be different if I had gone to do that course is I might although it's a creative course it's it was also academic and maybe I would have got a job that would have allowed me to see my potential where when I was working as an actor it was desperate really because if you didn't know anybody if you didn't have a famous dad or a famous friend or lots of money to fund the constant auditioning process 
you just were lurching from one job to another unless you got a big break. And so there was, an, I, I really felt that there was no sense. I wasn't kind of propelled to at forward. I was just trying to find one job after another. And, and as someone who was really ambitious, I found that quite hard. So I began to produce my own plays and try to kind of take some control over my career, but I couldn't earn any money. And so I, I felt frustrated that I wasn't on an upward trajectory in terms of, you know, um, garnering strength with each thing that I did. So I, I like to think that might have been different had I done this degree and then um, got a creative job. Well, shall know. we think about it? Yeah. So you sure. finish up. Uh, before we leave university, though, I just want to yeah. see if you ever found your harp. Oh, did I find my harp? Um, I mean... Let's say yes. Let's say I did find a harp, but I definitely don't think I bought a harp because they're so expensive. But maybe I got a chance at least to play a harp and learn a few chords and have a quick strum. That would have been okay. great. All right, good. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. And also, actually, just before we leave there as well, I just want to check in with the feminist group um, and just mm -hmm. see if you guys have done anything in particular. Have you been protesting? Have you been advocating? I mean, I wonder whether what would have happened. It was a because around the time when I was at university was when uh, Labour won the election. That was in 1997, I think, wasn't it? And I remember when that happened, I wasn't massively politicised beyond thinking. I'm really glad we haven't got a Conservative government anymore. But I think that there would have been a lot of um, work around that idea of having a Labour government in and probably like little fringe groups and things like that. So maybe I would have been a member of the Labour Party at that stage. I don't even know. But I definitely think I would have been stayed part of a group rather than someone who sat outside politics and kind of observed it. Well, let's see where if that follows you into post-university mm. life. So, yeah, so it, it, you're finishing up. It's coming time to sort of enter the world. What kind of thing yeah. do you go for? What are your options? So I'm definitely going to want to be performing. So I think one of the important things at university will have been that I've joined a choir, like a chamber choir, and we've done performances. And that's maybe something we continue after university. So I think I would have been doing that on the side of something else. I wonder whether I would have gone down the teaching route, which is a route I ended up going down later anyway. And maybe mm. I would have been you know, like teaching uh, piano, teaching singing, doing choral directing, which is something I've done as well. But I definitely think it would have been interspersed with doing performance work as well, because that was really important to me. Maybe I would have gone. Maybe I would have gone traveling. Maybe I would have got a job abroad if I hadn't fallen in love with someone in this country. Okay, so you finished up, and you've got you've got some paths. You definitely want to be performing. Teaching is probably where the money is coming from. Travel, and man. Yeah. So not let's not man. Um, at this, I mean that would just. So at that age, I just was quite, the, the the problem was for me that I really, really wanted to have lots of children, which wasn't a problem, just it meant that it was always in the back of my mind that um, I needed to do that at some point. And so that whole narrative of you can have it all was really com confusing to me because I didn't quite see how I could have it all and have lots of children. Um, so I, but if I hadn't met someone, perhaps I wouldn't have been thinking at that early stage of 21 when am I going to have my family? Because the person wouldn't have been there who I could have had the family with. So I think if I don't have a boyfriend at this stage, it maybe gives me the opportunity to not be thinking about having a family. And I maybe go away and do some teaching abroad. And perhaps I would have gone and done like TEFL or something like that. Um, that would have been really exciting for me. Cool. Where do you think you go? Um, so the place I really, really want to go is New Zealand. 
um, because lots of my family are from there or have been there. I'm doing lots of writing about that at the moment. So maybe I would go there um, if that was possible. Definitely just somewhere. I don't, I don't know. But I also I speak French, so maybe I just would have used my French to go and be in France and do something exciting over there. So I don't know, options. Should we say, do I have to choose somewhere? You have to choose somewhere. Mm, and I guess gosh, <laughs> that's a where... whole world. <laughs> <laughs> you have to choose somewhere. But also, I guess the one the one consideration is, um, I guess, you pro- well, teaching English abroad in New Zealand is probably less of an option than it is in France. So why don't we say I go to France because the thing about me is that I want to be reckless and go somewhere really exciting, but also I'm quite scared. So at least I would feel like France is not really far away. I can speak the language. Um, There's some nice hot weather. Let's go with France. I love I love your dualities. I just think they're so fun and so amazing. And I'm sure that they're stressful sometimes to inhabit. But like, <laughs> I just, I love the idea of being both reckless and scared at the same time. And it probably goes back to the broken schooling system, but just to feel like you're just supposed to be one thing. And that if you're like the reckless person, then you can't also be the scared person and vice versa. And it's just very um, energizing to kind of be able to hang out with both. Um, so, okay. So that's, so we go to France. Where in France? I'm so excited for that. Well, I guess you could say Paris because culturally really exciting and maybe even, and you know, lots of work. Um, yeah. Why don't we just say Paris? Let's go with Paris. Paris is yeah. great. Love Paris. Um, okay. Love Paris. I know. What's not to love? <laughs> um, uh, okay. So you're 21, you're in Paris, you're teaching English at, uh, somewhere some some school yeah I'm teaching English but maybe I'm while I'm there I'm also thinking come on you've just done like like music music by this stage is going to be really integral to my life because because it is integral to my life even now so I'm going to be doing something in Paris that involves music maybe I even study more maybe I go on to do like a master's or um, some kind of post-grad course in music and I'm teaching to support myself or something like that. I just feel like I wouldn't have let go of all of the, I wouldn't have let go of the creativity completely because that's always been there for me. What do you think it is? Maybe I'm specialising in something to do with singing because even though piano was my first instrument, I probably would not ever have been good enough to be, you know, like a concert pianist or something. Um, But I could have done something good. I always have done lots of things with my singing. So I think I've gone to Paris and there's an opportunity there to do some postgraduate course. Maybe it's even like teaching music or something. And I'm using my voice to do that. And I'm also doing some teaching English as a foreign language to fund my life there. That sounds excellent. It sounds amazing. I love it. Oh, God, I'm where loving you, my life. It's <laughs> incredible. I love this life. Um, where, where are you living? I probably am in like a little university accommodation place. Okay. Like a room, a shared, maybe a shared room. Maybe I'm <gasps> going to, you know, go crazy and share a room with someone. Who is see it? See how that works can out. You, can you picture who it is? Um, I think it is someone who is not English. Um, and I grew up in a really not very diverse place and then went to drama school, which was not very diverse either. And so I really, um, seek out that diversity in terms of people who've lived different experiences to me come from different places so I like to think I would be living like with some European girl who 
I don't know where they're from, but they're like a musician as well. Or maybe no, maybe they're a writer. I don't know. <gasps> someone, you know, someone from somewhere else in Europe who, because it's really multicultural at the university and that's exciting for me. Um, How long does your course last? Just a year, sadly. Oh. I don't think I can afford to be in Paris for longer than a year at this stage. So I like to think that this time, extended time of being on my own, is really good for me in terms of like helping me to manage that fear I get about being on my own. Maybe not though. Maybe that fear is always there. Like it's still here now and I've been on my own for nearly five years now, but something always about um, wrestling with that fear and living with that fear and trying to articulate that fear and wondering where that fear comes from. Um, I think that that would, I think still think that would be a theme for me. Um, I wonder how I would express it. But I grew up in a very um, safe environment. So where I grew up with my family, like my, I grew up with my mum and my dad and my siblings. And we were, you know, I didn't want for anything. And I was encouraged and all of those, all of those things. So I think there's like, there's an innate insecurity and anxiety in me just because of who I am and I guess I guess that's always there but perhaps what I've gained by going to university and being part of perhaps this political group as well as all these musical ensembles where there's definitely you know uh, you know you're with your colleagues you need to support each other you're working closely with other people all the time maybe that has instilled a sense of belonging to tribes which is something that I am always seeking and so maybe that goes some way to um, lessen the, you know, the fear and the and the and the feeling that I'm on the edge of something all the time or outside of something. That's very interesting because there's security in tribes, isn't there? That's the the thing. There's that sense of safety in a tribe that really there's definitely security as well in and uh, reassurance in in shared experience. And what one of the things already I and feeling from um, the publication of Twelve Moons is 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 that parts of my different parts of my story reach out to different people, and although everybody's life is different, some people have experienced some of the things I write about in the book. Other people, you know, different parts of the book resonate, and I think what this unlived life perhaps offers is an opportunity to have more shared experiences. Um, and also to have my voice heard, which is like the main theme of, of the book, but actually physically I will have been speaking and listened to and shared conversations in a way I don't think I really did at drama school. And that would, that, that is something that's now very important to me and, and, and would have been really valued when I was younger, I think. Mm, I can see that. And yeah, and the way that you describe those audition processes in drama school, it's sort of like you speak and then instead of it being an expansive connecting moment, it's a moment to be shut down or told that you're wrong or it's not good yeah. enough. Or... Yeah, and really just, uh, I just felt like a vessel, I think, in some of those, I mean, some of them were like borderline, you know, really inappropriate, some of the auditions, but other, other ones, you're. it's like people would look through you and um, I don't think I was tough enough to to be able to manage that really. I I... Yeah, I didn't really feel seen, I don't think. It's just interesting when you said about um, 
growing up in a really safe space, which I think as parents, we feel like if we raise our kids in a really safe place, then they will be safe. And that is the thing that matters. And I grew up in the suburbs of Colorado and the whole emphasis was about safety. It was like, this place is really safe. You can, you can walk around at night and it's fine. But I think if you feel through kind of nobody's fault, if you feel like you don't belong, if you feel like you've described yourself like you're on the edge of things all the time, maybe that's the, maybe that's the more important thing as opposed to this sort of yeah, and I and I think as I like now I'm a parent myself, and um, obviously um, life has taken a different path in in many ways to what I, to what I thought it was. I've tried to find a way to 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 reframe that idea of safety for my own children and that idea of resilience and like I think the scales fell away from my eyes at such a late stage I was like probably well into my 20s when I when you know some really really difficult things happened and you know like people I love being poorly or whatever um people moving away where for my children some tricky things have happened at a much younger age but but I I don't think there was anything easy about suddenly falling landing back down to earth and realizing that the world could sometimes be a tricky place when I was in my mid-20s and I hope that you know, tricky things being drip fed. Maybe I, I hope that that will be something um, that my children can take with them and can, you know, like the, it's not like the, the innocence is lost at a young age just because, you know, your marriage breaks down or school doesn't work for you. But you understand that you, you maybe develop skills at a younger age so that you can ma- manage a, a bit better when you're older. That That's how I've tried to reframe it when yeah. things have been hard for me and my kids, you know. No, I think that's really good. That feels right. Um, okay. So you're feeling, you're feeling pretty good in Paris and, um, but you're feeling like it needs to come to an end and you need to move forward and either go back to the UK or get a job job or what, what's happening and do more performing, presumably. Maybe I've, um, have joined a musical group there. Maybe I can carry on with the teaching when I finish my master's. Maybe I've met someone and then I want to stay in Paris anyway. I mean, like in this whole post-Brexit world, I just wish I could have some link to Europe, main, uh, mainland Europe, but I don't now have. So so maybe I just stay there and then that's great. Um, yeah, because it still feels... Because I'm close to my family in an emotional sense. So maybe I can still be there, but still feel, you know, close to them. And maybe that's an exciting alternative for me. Okay, so okay, so let's let's backtrack a bit and think it through. So you're coming to the end of your course... It sounds like you're feeling like you'd quite like to stay in Paris. You don't want it, it to end just because the course Yeah, I mean, ended. I really always, always wanted to live in a city. So um, unless That's it's a good reason for me to go. To, yes, and look <laughs> where I am now. I know um, I'm sometimes often on right move Googling houses in cities that I can't afford. But yeah, I'm a city girl. I, I love because it's busy and it whips me up and everything is moving all the time. And that's what my energy is. So to be somewhere... I've had to like really work with living in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, why don't I stay in Paris? Because then I'm in a city and that's ideal for me. Gorgeous. Okay. How do you make it work? (laughs) Yay. Oh, I'm Um, so excited for you. This is so good. Loving this life for me. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) We do this every week. Yes, Um, always. I do this all the time. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I'm going to stay in Paris. And now I finished this postgraduate course and... My French is really good now because I've been living there for a year. And I think like maybe I have got a partner. Ooh. Why don't we why don't we see how that feels? How's it feel? Yeah. 
I know that makes me feel a bit scared actually because I still feel like the history of my life is I lose myself a bit in men so maybe I don't maybe I don't go there maybe I just keep hold of myself really tightly and hold on to who I am and that's um and that's a real gift actually yeah let's do that I'm I'm gonna get a flat with this nice girl European girl from an unknown country okay. um, who I've been sharing a room with and we're gonna get like a little apartment somewhere and I'm gonna carry on teaching um, as a result of having done this course in Paris and I'm doing maybe I'm doing some like um I feel like I'm doing some like little gigs in little clubs and things like that singing or playing accompanying someone probably not accompanying because I was always like yep some limelight please <laughs> maybe I'm singing <laughs> yeah it feels really good actually and interesting to think about what happens when I give myself the space that is just for me because that is something that is so alien to me. Um, it's very interesting to be on this road, actually. One really crucial question that I haven't asked is, what kind of music mm. are you um, performing? Yeah, maybe like some cabaret type thing or something, because I really love the acting and the performing and the costume and the drama and taking on a character. So maybe something like that would be good, some okay. cabaret. Um, but also I still really, really love beautiful choral chamber music. So I think there has to be. So I was brought up with, with you know, religious choral music. I was a, I was a chorister in a, in a church choir. And even though um, I'm not religious, just that, that music has always stayed with me. So that I think that would still have a part in my life somewhere. So maybe I'm doing both of those things and do some teaching to earn the money. That okay. Great. This is amazing. This is so fun. Do you know Paris well enough to know where you guys have your apartment? Not really, no. I don't know Paris very well, but I'm thinking it would be somewhere not very expensive and somewhere um, somewhere that would feel safe for me as well because I'm still probably I'm still a bit scared about being the woman on my own thing. Maybe somewhere still near the university, though, um, because maybe that's the area I know. So you guys are having a nice time. You're doing that for a bit. How long does that roughly, do we think that? Because you're now early 20s. Um, mm -hmm. How long do you think that sort of base, that kind of level of existence yeah, goes on? Because I think I'm going to feel, have, so even though I'm, my ambition was kind of stopped by me having a family in real life at the end of my 20s. Um and actually this path I've taken at the minute, whilst it's kind of exciting and adventurous, it's not professionally, it's not necessarily taking me anywhere. So that is interesting to me. And I wonder how, like, does that get stopped by me having a family and then I do something again afterwards, which is what I did in my real life? Or do I then have to, do I have to, like, do I meet someone or do I think, what am I doing with my life? Just just quickly. So you met your husband when you were 21 and then you continued yeah. to act and work in the world of the theater until your late 20s when you had your first yeah. daughter. And then I, and then I um, retrained as a teacher because I knew I couldn't afford to have a family. So I was quite practical. Yeah. I stopped acting and I trained to be a teacher so that I could fund having children. Okay. Um, that actually turned out to be quite a good decision because it's always been there to fall back on and it has meant I could have a family. So maybe I am, because I guess I'm still, um, yeah, either. I mean, I could meet someone or I could not meet some, but I think the teaching probably would always be there and the, and the music's always there. And I don't know whether where the politics has gone at this stage, whether that has um, gone or whether that is something that is still still there for me. 
Uh, maybe I'm like? right. Maybe it, yeah. And I feel like it could have gone, but if I had become kind of, um, if it had been something that was important to me that I'd had an opportunity to spend time doing over a period of time, I, I guess it could still be there. So maybe I am. Like I feel like maybe I could be writing for a, you know, like a student, pay, you know, like a newspaper or something like that, bits and bobs, or being involved in it that way. Because I think communicating is probably what what my strength is, and maybe where I would be. And I would be, you know, going on protests and demonstrations and things. I do that anyway. But um, would you be going on on French ones? Would you be getting sort of just as involved in the sort of French? Yeah, because always I'm saying to the kids here, why are we not on the streets? Why are we not like the French? I'm always raging about that. So I feel like, yeah, that's something that I would do because I it's that it's that feeling of of being of being helpless um, that is that annoys me so much. So I think I, that would suit me really well. That I could be out doing some good marching. But I also wonder as well, like I'm really have always been drawn to um, uh, like I'm really interested in men who have lots of things to say. Um, like I'm more interested in a talky person, I mean, than a like a physically kind of athletic type person in in my when I was younger. I don't even know now. Um, and too busy with children and books and things. But I, I, I but I wonder whether I would have met someone within that political kind of world. I don't know. That feels interesting. I don't know what whether do you think? I would or not. Yeah. Just wonder what it would be like to have met someone outside of the creative world. That's all. Someone who is a little more sure of themselves and um yeah, doesn't need like hand holding and lots of kind of angsting. I, I think it would have been really good for me to meet someone who who was a little more sure of themselves and confident in, in themselves and who w- could see my potential as well. That would have been interesting. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I definitely would have wanted to meet someone, but I don't know what that person would have looked like necessarily. Something feels like it needs to shift to get you to to your next step. It's possible that you just feel like, okay, I've kind of been doing the same thing for a bit now. It's possible that you meet just sort of an interesting man who, and I completely agree with you. Just, uh, I think the idea of, yeah, just somebody who's sort of grounded in something a little bit less yeah. airy than the creative. That feels nice, but also what feels nice is maybe is maybe like sitting a bit outside of that comfort zone and what feels like a bit of a default position for me and just maybe I don't meet anybody and maybe I carry on with that job and carry on um developing within that role within the university and 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 it's all about me actually and that would be a refreshing change. I like that for you a lot. <laughs> then why don't we spend our final 10 minutes just just kind of existing in that universe for you for a little while or it's just all about you so what are you writing do you Gosh. think you do you think you start writing when I'm at, when now I'm at, now I'm um, still in Paris yeah you're still in Paris you're teaching yeah. you're singing you're just you're kind of I mean you know you're young and in your 20s in Paris like and you're not attached to any man yeah I think I mean I th- I'm using my voice somehow and whether that's like whether I'm using my voice like I'm using my voice now, whether I'm using my voice through words or I'm not a natural writer. Writing wasn't always there for me. Writing kind of came to me in my 30s. be interesting to know if it would have come come to me sooner had I lived that life. But I think I probably am speaking, maybe I'm at events and I'm talking. Like I see myself more as someone who, who can be a communicator in this way. Um I think the writing came because I couldn't use my voice in this way. Um, I think if I could have could have used my physical voice, the writing might not have come 
come for me so soon. I'm not Be- sure. Because you were trying so hard to advocate for your children and it was so challenging. Just because, just- yeah, because my, because my whole life was, um, is really being at home with my children and, and caring and, and because also because I'd lost myself entirely, really there was no outlet for me. I couldn't leave the house often. I lived so remotely. I didn't have a community, a creative community to use that voice in. And so my voice became me waking early in the mornings and writing my voice onto a page until, and even at the beginning, when I first started writing this book, I wrote it as someone else. It couldn't even feel like my voice for quite a long time. It's taken me a while to find it. So so slowly, slowly my voice emerged on the page and now I feel a bit more confident to be able to speak as well. My natural place is to be a face-to-face communicator like this. Okay. What do you think you would have been face-to-face communicating aside from your teaching? So um, well, through performance, definitely, through singing or like the cabaret thing would have been really fun, but also um, looking at, you know, whatever issues were interesting to me and relevant to me and my life there and being part of campaign groups. Um, and I think that might have been how I would have got into writing as well, would have been writing about like different issues that affected me and impacted me and my community one thing that I found really striking in your book um, was the way in which you brought in um, the really horrifying cases of of the murders of the women that we've experienced over the past few years um, mm-hmm. and the sort of protests and the then the silencing of those protests and all of that around around that. I just wonder if um, I guess I wondered why those were the the things that you chose to focus on. And I wonder if some of that comes into, into this unlived life and what you're kind of Mm -hmm. advocating for. I think it all, um, fed into the themes of, uh, darkness and, uh, fear and what it meant to, to feel very exposed as a woman on her own. And I would listen to people like I'd listen to or read tweets or listen to people talking about how they felt scared when they were in the house on their own, if their partner was away or, you know, the whole thing about holding your keys in your hand. And I would think, but you're talking about something that only happens very occasionally for you. Like I am always on my own and I'm the only person in my house with four small children to, to really keep safe. And, and I, I just felt very, just felt like the backdrop, like the wider backdrop to my tiny life and my, little house in Northumberland was one of fear and I guess I felt part of that tribe which was all women everywhere saying you are silencing us when we are telling you we are not safe and we are not safe because because men will not allow us to be safe and I I guess it was just a way of connecting with that fear. So how does the fear feel in Paris? You are a woman on your own, you're out like performing in front of French people at night, you're you know You've navigated a whole new city, you know, which isn't, I mean, you know, it's not always a safe place to be. No, I think the fear is reframed, though, in that unlived life as um, because I have more of a sense of who I am and what I'm capable of. um, And that allows me to, you know, kind of not, not even bury the fear, but kind of just just it allows me to feel yeah it allows me to feel that i'm capable of of anything and 
that my that my voice holds worth and maybe that goes some way to kind of dissipating the fear I think the fear is always there but the fear is maybe a little bit of the edge and that that helps me to tick I like that because that's you know you don't want to it's that whole thing of sort of not trying to get rid of the parts of ourselves that are challenging but kind of yeah reframing them or recasting them exactly finding a way to use them or make them work for you anyway yeah I love that Okay, so what's our sort of final image of you in Paris? What you've been, I'm wondering, I'm mm-hmm. also wondering, like, is the goal with the music, I mean, do you want to, where do you want to go with it? Do you want to perform in bigger venues? Do you want to record? I think I um, am writing music and writing and performing my own stuff. And sometimes I still think about uh, writing a one woman show. Yeah. And maybe that's something that I do. Um, Okay. You yeah. write a one-woman show. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I wish I had another hour for you so we could figure out what your one-woman show is. <laughs> but that just means that you have to do it in real life. And so we can all look okay. forward to your one-woman I'm up show. for that. That's fine. Can I ask you as a uh, – well, two final questions. One, is there anything that feels unattended that you want to make sure we touch before we before we wrap up? No, I mean, I really had no idea what to expect at all. So this is just taking me on a crazy, crazy journey and I've loved it. So yeah, thank you. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And then my final question is just um, if there was something you can, I feel like I might know what it's going to be, but if there was something that you could take from your unlived life and bring it into your real life, what might that be? Yeah, it's quite emotional, this actually, isn't it? Um, I think it's definitely... It, it would be something to do with voice and it would be something to do with, um, it's a mixture between voice and self-worth, but essentially it is being heard for what you feel and, and what you are rather than just being seen or looked through. That that I, I feel like if I could have had that a little bit more of that, that would be something really valuable to take forward. It's very much my hope that that's something that you can have. Thank you. Thank you. This has been such a joy talking to you. Yeah, I've loved it. Thank you so much. Pleasure. I'm really enthralled by how Caro so fully owns opposing sides of herself. Reckless and scared, anxious and confident, extrovert and introvert, and how she makes space for all of those seemingly contradictory elements to show up in her life. I think that when we went into her unlived life, She thought that perhaps sidestepping drama school might do away with some of those polarities, making her, say, more confident or less fearful. But actually, I don't think we did do away with them, nor should we have. Instead, her unlived life really embodied those dualities, as she embraced her love of the city despite her life being so embedded in the countryside, or as she made bold and daring moves in her career despite allowing her fear still to guide some of her choices like when she knew that Paris would feel a safe enough choice, as opposed to somewhere more far-flung. What I love is how she came out of her unlived life articulating a respect for the fear, something that, in the right proportion, could give you a necessary edge, and that shouldn't be pushed away. In that sense, having it all, that old 90s girl power maxim, takes on a new and genuinely empowering meaning, Not juggling an impossible number of tasks in pursuit of an impossible ideal, but having all of yourself, holding every side of who you are as valid and worthy of love. (music) 
If you're a fan of My Unlived Life, I'd be so grateful if you'd help spread the word by rating, reviewing, subscribing, or following wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.